Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Last, you can be seated. Last May, when we had our Beast Feast, we had Tim Lee speak for us. And all the time we were advertising the Beast Feast, uh, we had clips of him playing on the screen. And the ladies kept saying, we want to come to the Beast Feast. We want to come to the Beast Feast. Well, sorry, ladies. There's not enough room for the ladies to come to the Beast Feast. But I told you we would have him here. And today we have Tim Lee. His wife, Connie, is sitting right over here to my left. She's traveled here with him. I want you to give him a good, long Southcrest welcome to Brother Tim Lee as he speaks today. Thank you. You may be seated. Wow, what a great time of worship and, and lifting up the name of Jesus here today. Wow, exciting. Great church God is building here in uh, Lubbock, Texas, and uh, since the greatness of the Spirit, and, and uh, to watch these young people, I, uh, I'm normally a very happy person, and the Marine uh, don't cry a lot, but I've cried more this last year than I've cried my whole life, and uh, I was watching these young people sing, and uh, we have uh, six grandchildren, and uh, Allie, uh, she would be 17. How many 17-year-olds we have here? Hold up your hand. All right. But last January, a uh, year ago, January 7th, uh, the Lord took her home to heaven. It was a, a, so sudden they pickup truck going 70, 75 miles an hour, went off the road, went off the shoulder of the road, hit an ATV that she and her youngest granddaughter, Sarah, was in, and one of their friends, Tristan, was driving it. And uh, Allie instantly was uh, taken to heaven. I wish you could have known her, but I was crying. I was happy tears because I could see these girls down here lifting up their hands and Praise of the Lord, and that's exactly what uh, Allie would have been doing. She loved the Lord. She loved God with her whole heart. And uh, we know we'll see her again. There's no doubt about that. So when somebody said, the other day, why do you cry so much? Because I miss her. I like to, the last thing she, I heard was she, she never left our house, never, young people. She never left our house without coming over and hugging my neck and saying, Papa, I love you. Never. They only lived a few blocks from us, and if she came to the house four times in one day, that means I got four hugs, and four times she said, Papa, I love you. That's the way she was. She was over there reading in the book of Matthew about where it says, uh, uh, we've, we found all kinds of journals where she had written notes, and I'm, I'm talking about tons and tons of stuff, and then she had marked up her Bible under this verse, I think it was Matthew chapter 5. And, it's, and Jesus is talking to the disciples and saying, love your enemies. Talking about loving your enemies and those who despitefully use you and, and hate you. 
And she underlined that whole verse. And then in big capital letters, she wrote one word out to the side of that verse. She wrote the word, dang. <laughs> like, I got to love these people. <laughs> but that was Allie. And uh, so young people, you bless my heart today. Take your Bibles to the book of the Revelation, chapter number 12. I don't have time to go in detail today. I, I want to share with you uh, something that's very important in our ministry and what we're doing. I'm not even in the middle of the, of the platform here. What am I doing? They moved the flyers on me. That's what they did. And, uh, but we, uh, we've been going now to Paris Island, MCRD Paris Island, Marine Corps Recruit Depot. If you're going to be an enlisted Marine, you either go to, uh, for a boot camp to Paris Island or San Diego uh, depends on which side of the Mississippi River you're from. And um, so they invited us and wanted to know if we'd be interested in coming to Paris Island. We uh, agreed that we wanted to come. I spoke a lot of military bases over the years with a lot of us gratuitous speaking. They want me to come talk for 10 minutes, give me an award. But this is not that. This is church. On Sunday morning, we have an hour and a half to two hours without any restrictions. I've never been one time told that I went too long. I've never one time been told I can't say this or I have to say this. We've been going there to get ready to start our sixth year. We go four times a year. Being anywhere, our low number was 2,000. We've had as many as 4,500. Average about 3,000, 3,200. Marines, Marine recruits, every time we go, it's a brand new class. We'll be there in March. No one in March will have been there when we were there in December. Every time it's brand new. It's a miracle. They, they had to go through all these hoops and stuff to get it approved. The last hurdle was the CEO of the base had to approve for me to come and speak. For the first time in the history of Paris Island, they had a female commanding officer, uh, Brigadier General Lloyd Reynolds. She's six foot four, and I'm not kidding about that. <laughs> and she looks like a Marine. She raised a Catholic her entire life. And seven years ago, she was invited to ladies' Bible study, and they were studying the gospel of John for the first time in her life. She understands what the gospel is, and she gets saved. And now she's in a position to make a decision whether I'm going to speak to the recruits. God's timing is always right. And they showed her a DVD of me speaking at Prestonwood Baptist Church in Dallas, and they said she had tears run down her face and said, yes, our recruits need to hear it. And so... When we go, we take a worship team, Mark Ivy, they come with the A team from Trinity Baptist in Jacksonville. Church runs about 2,500, and they don't send the backup players. They send their best. They send the A team. Every single one of our events, 20 events that we've done in Paris Island now, and they've been to every one of them. And they lead in worship and praise for 45 to 50 minute songs, just like we sang here today. And then I speak, and then I give a public invitation. I told them I couldn't see the sense of me coming, telling all this good news and how they could be saved, and then not giving them an opportunity to do so. That doesn't make sense to me. It's like taking a starving man to the best buffet in town, show him all the great food, and then not letting him have any. That don't make sense. So I give public invitations, and ladies and gentlemen, the numbers that I give you are very conservative numbers. There are chaplains that would tell you the numbers are a lot higher than what I'm about to tell you. But in 20 events that we've done now at Paris Island and three events at San Diego, we've seen over 24,000 Marines and Marine recruits get out of their seats with brokenness and tears and convictions and come and give their hearts to Jesus Christ. 
I want you to pray for those events. We'll be back four times this year, four times 2019, four times 2020. They told us we'd keep it going as long as we wanted to do them. What is your story? I'm going to talk to you about my story. I'm going to ask no one to get up, move around, walk around, talk to anybody, because I'm not going to talk very long. I'll tell you like Elizabeth Taylor told her eighth husband, I won't keep you long, and she didn't. <laughs> Now, if you have an emergency, you have to go out and understand. But the, if it's not an emergency, just stay seated because this is too important. Somebody's soul is waiting to balance here today. Somebody's going to get saved. Somebody's life's going to be changed. But if you disturb them, it might quench the spirit. We don't want that to happen. What's your story? This is a book full of stories, great stories, Old Testament, New Testament, people's lives. Uh, people's stories, it all starts with Adam. Did you men ever stop to think what it would have been like to have been Adam? Adam, Adam had a wife and never had a mother-in-law. <laughs> That's a story. <laughs> a Adam had a story and Noah had a story and Abraham had a story and Moses and Joshua had stories and David and Joseph and Daniel and Shadrach and Nehemiah and Jonah and Stephen and John and Paul, all of them. Matter of fact, there's a whole chapter in the book of Hebrews, oftentimes we refer to it as the faith chapter. And there's man after man after man listed in that chapter because of their great faith. But then right in the middle of that chapter is a woman by the name of Rahab. You know what Rahab was? Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a harlot. Yet there came a day in her life when she too put her faith and her trust in God. And God thinks so much of her faith that he puts her in the faith chapter. I'm talking to someone right now and you've blown it. You've messed up. You're shipwrecked. Things have gone wrong in your life. And you're thinking there's no way possible that I can have a story, that I can have a testimony. But the very fact that you're in this room right now and the very fact that you're breathing air right now says there's hope for you. My God is a God of a second chance. Sometimes a third chance. Sometimes even more than that. Some of us can testify. Revelation chapter number 12 tells how we have this testimony, how we get this story. In verse number 7, there was war in heaven. It all started with war. It's going to end in a war. And we win. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought his angels and prevailed not. And neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, the old serpent, the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out in the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. That's talking about the fallen angel Lucifer, the great dragon, that old serpent, the devil, and Satan, in verse number 9. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So how are they going to overcome this accuser. And the better question for us this morning, how are we going to overcome this accuser? Two ways. And verse number 11 tells you, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. We sang about that a little while ago. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What's your story? You go to the cemetery, there's a headstone 
we know something about the person that's buried in that spot. There's, we know their name, of course, and then maybe there's something about their military career. Maybe there's something about their family, their children, their grandchildren. Maybe there's a favorite Bible verse. But then there's always the date, the date the person born, was born, the date the person died. But ladies and gentlemen, young people, more important than the two dates. In between the dates is the little dash. And it's what's on your dash that matters the most. What happened from the day you were born until the day you took your last breath? Our precious Allie did more living in 16 years than most people do in 60 years. I know she's my granddaughter, and I know I'm Papa, but I'm telling you the truth. She knew how to live. You've, it's what you're putting on your dash that matters the most. It's what's going to matter. I was raised in a pastor's home. I wish everyone could have been raised in the kind of family that I was in. Mom and dad, my older sister, and then us four boys. We had a home, maybe a thousand square foot. We had one bathroom. You imagine, you know what you do when you're raised in a preacher's home? You go to church. You imagine Sunday morning, seven people getting ready to go to church. You got one bathroom. You know who gets the majority of the time of that bathroom? Our older sister. Yeah. But we, we went to church. We went Sunday morning. We went Sunday night. We went Wednesday night. We, and when the doors were open, we went to church. We went to church a lot. But the truth of the matter is, most of our foundation was great stuff that we learned in Sunday school, great stuff we learned in church, but our foundation was laid at home. Our mom and dad taught us stuff at home. Our mom and dad taught us there was only one true and living God, and that was the God of this Bible. They taught us that that the Bible was the Word of God. They taught us that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They taught us that there was only one way to go to heaven. It's not a Buddhist way or a Hindu way or a Muslim way or not even a Baptist way. It's a Jesus way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We were taught that in our home. Let me tell you something, parents. It makes a big difference what you teach your kids in your home. You have a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of there's a lot of attention for your children. And, that, and not even so much the attention being paid today for teenagers as it is for your little children. That this world is trying to capture the minds and capture the attention of your little children, your little kids. Atheism is on the rise in America and throughout the world. I don't understand atheists. I tried to, but I don't get them. I'm on Twitter at Marine Tim Lee. And if I want to have a little fun, I just hashtag the word atheist. They come out of the woodwork. And do you know what they want to talk about? They want to talk about God. They say they don't believe in God, but now they want to talk about God. I remember, I'm old enough to remember when the Russian cosmonauts went to outer space the very first time, and the whole world was watching. They came back, and the media was there, and the, this one Russian cosmonaut was so excited, so giddy. He, he said, I've been to outer space, and I did not see God. And since I did not see God, that must mean there is no God. And the next, the next Sunday at the great First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, the, the pastor, Dr. W. Criswell, exclaimed to his people, and he said, Ah, if only they would have stepped out of their spacesuits, then they would have seen God. <laughs> Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. And let me tell you something, parents, it's important. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want the young parents to listen to this verse these three verses, the, the young parents, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Here it is. 
and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. What are you talking about? The Word of God. When are you talking about it? When you sit down, and when you rise up, and when you go by the way. And who are you talking about it to? To your children. As important as it is for your children to be in Sunday school, that's important. Small groups or an Awana program or even a Christian academy school, that's all great. That's all wonderful. But hey, it's not their primary responsibility to teach your children the Word of God. It is your responsibility to teach them the Word of God. And that's the kind of home that I was raised in. When I was 10 years of age, the most important thing that would ever happen in my life happened at 10. Sunday morning. North City Baptist Church, North City, Illinois. I'm sitting on the second row on the right-hand side. My dad's up preaching for the first time in my life that I could remember. I got into conviction. And I don't know whether you understand conviction, but as best I can explain in such a short time, it's when, it's when God himself comes to you and starts talking to you personally about big stuff like death and life, and heaven, and hell, and eternity. And man, when conviction comes, especially if you're in church, you're probably the most miserable person in the room. You would like for that preacher to shut up. No more singing, somebody get me out of this building. But friend, if conviction was to come to you today in this service, you know what you ought to do? You ought to thank God for it. You know what that means? God loves you. God's speaking to you. God's trying to draw you unto him. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. Listen to this. He wants you to spend eternity with him in this awesome place called heaven. And man, when I was only 10, that conviction came to me that morning. I was miserable. When the invitation started, I was really miserable. I was holding on to the back of that seat, and, and all I could see as a 10-year-old boy was hell. Somebody said, well, you shouldn't get saved just to stay out of hell. Well, maybe not, but that's not a bad reason to get saved. <laughs> I left my seat that morning, and I went, and my mom came and knelt beside me as a 10-year-old boy. I repented of my sins, received Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I got born into the family of God. I got saved. And that's the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. And if you've been saved, that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. But I got to tell you something, friend, you need to listen. If you have never been saved, then your life is incomplete. You might be the richest person in this room today. But if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You might be the strongest man in Lubbock, Texas today, but if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You may be the most beautiful woman in the whole county, but if you don't know Jesus, your life is incomplete. You may be the smartest person in this building today, but if you don't know Jesus, friend, today you need Jesus for your life to be complete. I was so excited. I told family and friends what had happened in my life, but then when I became a teenager, something else happened. Now, now, it didn't happen overnight, but gradually I began to put things before God, football and basketball and baseball and track and field. These things soon started to become my gods. And my dad told me more than one time, Tim, there's nothing wrong with you playing ball unless you put it before God. And then 
it's wrong. Well, I didn't want to listen to that. And little by little, I started putting these things before God. And when I did, I began to have problems. I began to rebel. I rebelled at school. I rebelled against God. I rebelled against mom and dad. You say, Tim, what did your parents do when you rebelled? They had never read any of Dr. Spock's books on child psychology. <laughs> Dr. Spock believed that if a child was frustrated, whatever it took to get the frustration out, let him do it. If he wants to pick up a rock and throw it through the window, if that would help him get his frustration out, let him throw the rock through the window. Well, my dad had other ways of getting that frustration out. <laughs> we lived on a farm for a little while. Behind the farmhouse was a willow tree. Now, I don't know whether you know what willow trees are good for or not, but you don't get any fruit off of them. They're not even a good shade tree. The only thing they're good for is to get a switch off of. <laughs> the only praying I did back then was for that tree to die, and it never did die. <laughs> I'd have to go out and get my own switch and bring it back. I'd be hurting before I got back because I knew what was about to happen. And they would always talk to us before they spanked us. They'd always. And they'd say something like this. They'd say, now, Tim, this is going to hurt me a whole lot worse than it's going to hurt you. I thought, isn't that dumb? If you give me that switch, I'll show you who it's going to hurt the worst. I said oftentimes, even before I joined the Marines, that I served under the stars and the stripes. My dad furnished the stripes, and I saw the stars, Yeah. But they believed in old-fashioned discipline, but many times I would slip out behind their back to do what I wanted to do. I attended public school. Most of my friends were not saved. Most of their parents were not Christians. And I made up my mind as a teenager that I could live my own life. My junior year in high school, I set records in the long jump and the hurdles, winning ribbons and trophies, but all the time getting further and further away from God. You say, Tim, what did God do? God declares in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, as many as I love, listen to that again, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Five of my high school friends were killed in car wrecks. Every time I see one of them in a casket, I knew that it very easily could have been me. And God would speak to my heart, but I wouldn't listen. I kept running. I kept rebelling. I graduated from high school, started college the day, work and nights. In the meantime, my life became one disaster after the other. And I didn't think it could get any worse. But it wasn't long till I got fired from my job. I got kicked out of college. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. And again, my life full of confusion. Walking down the street in my hometown, McLeansboro, Illinois. I went by the post office and I noticed a sign. I had seen the sign before. But it never got my attention like it did that day. It was a picture of a young man in a sharp-looking uniform. And at the top of the sign, it said, the Marines are looking for a few good men. I was so proud and so arrogant and so full of myself. I actually did. I went in that recruiter's office, and I told him I found at least one of what you all looking for. Now, young people, to be real frank with you, I was tired of living at home. I wanted to change. I wanted something different. I was tired of being told what time to go to bed and what time to get out of bed and how to get my hair cut and what I could do, what I could not do. So I joined the United States Marine Corps. <laughs> it wasn't the most intelligent thing I ever did. 
They put me on a Greyhound bus and sent me to Paris Island, South Carolina. I got off of that bus and stepped out of those yellow footprints, and I met that guy they called drill instructor. I was there less than 24 hours when I decided I didn't like him, and he didn't like me. But you know the real reason why I didn't like him? He was in authority, and I didn't like authority. I was rebellious toward all authority, but I was soon to discover that no matter where I would ever go in this life, there would always be authority with God being the supreme in all authority. I laid awake nights, many nights, between 305, thinking about my life, the shame, the disgrace that I brought to my dad's ministry, to my own family. My attitude began to change in boot camp. The Marines had some things to help it change. I graduated from from boot camp with a meritorious promotion, private to private first class, went to ITR, then to engineering school at Camp Lejeune, graduated with another meritorious promotion, private first class to Lance Corporal. And there I got my orders that I was to go to Vietnam. I had three weeks leave. I went home to Illinois and spent those three weeks with mom and dad. And on Sunday, before I was to leave on Monday, I went to church with my parents. And in the service that morning, I thought that I'd made things right with God. On Monday, mom and dad drove me to St. Louis, and I, I got on that plane, and it no more got off the runway, and I told God I couldn't do it. Those men were Marines. I was afraid they'd make fun of me. I was afraid they'd laugh at me. I went to South Vietnam, was there for nine months, and I didn't go back to doing a lot of the things that I'd done before, but friend, listen to me. If you're not for the Lord, then you're against him. For the Christian in this room today, there is no middle ground. You're either helping the cause of Christ or you're hurting the cause of Christ. I had opportunity after opportunity to live for God. Mom sent me a Bible, and on the inside of that Bible, she wrote these words, Tim, this Bible can keep you from sin, or sin can keep you from this Bible. I put it in the bottom of my footlocker. I had no prayer life. I had no testimony. It was a black Marine in my squad by the name of Lee Gore. Lee and I flew to Vietnam on the same airplane. We were the best of friends. He was a Christian living for God. I was saved, but I was running from God. Many times I've seen him sit on the edge of the rack and read his Bible. Seen him witness, openly talk to other Marines about the Lord. Hey, I knew this was the story. This was the testimony that I was supposed to have. But I kept running. 30 days left in Nam, and my top sergeant offered me a desk job. Desk job meant I, don't, I didn't have to go back out to the field, to the bush anymore, and that was where the primary danger was. But for some reason, I told him I'd rather spend the rest of my time with my own men, and I was told to take them on a mine sweep. I had been on numerous mine sweeps. The only thing particularly different about this one is that most of my men were new in Vietnam. The only training that most of them had on a minesweep was what they'd gotten back in the States, and that was a lot different than walking an actual minesweep. I got my men together early that morning, March the 8th, 1971. I told my men that day that I would walk point. Point man was the first man of the squad. There'd be 15, 20 meters and another Marine, 15, 20 meters and another Marine, and we'd be staggered out in that kind of formation normally. I would have been in the back of the squad with the radarman, the corpsman, the lieutenant. Wasn't trying to be a hero or anything like that, simply showing my men how to walk point. Our job was to locate landmines and rounds that had not yet been detonated 
and to clear the area of those devices. We walked that morning without any trouble. We found a couple of rounds. We detonated them. We stopped at noon hour to eat. And while I was eating, my friend, Lee Gore, asked me if I wanted him to take over his point. Lee could have very easily have done it. He was as well trained as I. But for some reason, I told him I would finish out the day and then on tomorrow, he could show the new men how to do it. We picked up where we left off from. And 45 minutes later, I stepped on a 60-pound mine. It blew me several feet into the air. It ripped both of my legs off of my body. I should have been killed instantly. It was a big enough mine to destroy a Jeep. We had entered a major minefield simultaneously at the exact same moment that I stepped on a mine. A South Korean Marine that was serving with us stepped on a mine, lost one of his legs. Our bulldozer driver set his blade down on a mine. We had entered a major minefield, and now there's noise and smoke and chaos and confusion everywhere. And I'm in a lot of pain. In the midst of all that pain and confusion, I looked up, and my head is laying in the lap of that black Marine. Legal, or Lee isn't cussing the president or the communists, the Vietnamese, or no one else, but rather with tears streaming down his face. Out loud, openly, he's praying and asking God to help me. And I can remember today as though it happened five minutes ago. Quang Nam province, a little after 1.30 in the afternoon, I looked up that day and I made God a promise. It was something like these simple words. God, if you'll let me live and get back home to mom and dad, I'll do with my life what you want me to do. Well, I'd made so many promises to God on so many other occasions, but I never meant it like a minute that day. It came with a medevac chopper, carried me to the hospital ship, the USS Sanctuary. Second day I was on that ship, two naval doctors gave up hope. Affectionate had set in, run to hide and retempt a lot of complications. They never expected me to survive. I laid there for two weeks unconscious. They took me to the island of Guam, the naval hospital, where I spent the next two weeks unconscious most of that time. Weighed 187 pounds before I was hit, the island of Guam. I weighed a little less than 80 pounds. During that first four-week period, Mom and Dad received visits from the Marines, the Red Cross, numerous telegrams, and from all that they had been told, they never expected to see their oldest son alive again. But God had a plan for my life. They brought me back to the States, to the Philadelphia Naval Hospital, where I spent the next eight months, eight long months, 13 major operations, when the doctors were through and all the surgeries were over, I had three inches remaining on my right leg, 11 inches on my left, but no other part of my body was hurt. I there are some today that would tell us it was nothing more than an accident, but I remind you that with God, there are no accidents. God was not asleep on March the 8th, 1971. You see, as a 10-year-old boy, I said yes to Jesus. But as a teenager, I decided that I could live my own life and I made a choice, a deliberate choice to run. And I ran and ran and ran until March the 8th, 1971, when the running was over. I went home from the hospital to my dad's church in southern Illinois. I went forward publicly and made things right. It was in that church that I met Connie. We fell in love with each other and were soon married. God's given us three wonderful children, six awesome grandchildren. It wasn't long after we were married that God called me to preach. Friends and even relatives tried to discourage me. They said it would be so hard, so difficult. But I said, if that's what God wants me to do, then that's what I'll do. I pastored for five years in southern Illinois. Now I'm starting my 40th year. 
in evangelism as a full-time evangelist. I preached in every state with the exception of North Dakota. And I don't think anybody even lives up there anymore. And, <laughs> and uh, many, many foreign countries preaching God's Word. And I'm going to tell you right now, as I've said on so many occasions, the past 46 plus years of my life have absolutely been the happiest years of my life. You said, but Tim, you're in a wheelchair. Your legs are gone. You told us about Allie. Today I'm in a wheelchair, but today I'm in the will of God. And that, my friend, makes all the difference in the world. Here's how the book of Job says it. Happy is the man whom God correcteth. Wow. Tim, are you telling us that God would do something like that to a person? No. God doesn't necessarily do things to us. He does things for us because he loves us, because he cares for us, and because we are his children. You're saved today, but you're out of the will of God. I plead you, I beg you, don't leave the doors of this building until you make it right with God. And there may be a great number of people listening to my voice right now, and you've never been saved. Your life has never, ever been changed by the power of God. Would you listen on purpose? I'm getting ready to say the most important words I would have said here today, right now. Don't let anything or anyone interrupt. What God wants to say to you right now, a little over 2,000 years ago, God sent his only son to this earth. God didn't have 20 sons. God didn't have two sons. God had one son, Jesus Christ. He came to this earth born of a virgin. He lived here on this earth for nearly 33 sinless, spotless years. He did no wrong. And then one day, he walked up Calvary's hill willingly, laid down his life for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the world. He hung on a cross suspended between heaven and earth. And on that cross, he shed his blood. And on that cross, he died. God's only son died. They took him off of, off of that cross and they carried him in him. And they put him in a borrowed tomb. And ladies and gentlemen, young people right here, among other things, is what separates Christianity from every other single religion on the face of the earth. For if you were to go to the place where they put the body of Jesus, you wouldn't find him. He's not there. On the third day, he got up from the grave victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over hell. And today, God's Son is alive. And here's the great news. He wants to come and live in your life. So, Tim, how does that happen? How does God's Son come and live in my life? You come to this place. We're not talking about the geographical location of this church in Lubbock, Texas. We're talking about this moment. This moment, right now. To understand in the sight of this holy God, you're a sinner. The Bible says so. We've all sinned. I've sinned, pastor's sinned. We've all sinned and come short of God's glory. And as I sin. That separates us from God, keeps us from having a right relationship with God. And there's only one way to be reconciled to God and have this right relationship and spend eternity with God in this beautiful place called heaven. And that's through his son, Jesus, the one who died for us and the one who arose from the grave for us. Today, if you're willing to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus, the very moment, the very exact moment that you by faith say yes to Jesus, 
you become God's child forever. Wouldn't you like to know that when you die, you would spend eternity with God forever? You can know that today. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.